You'll recall last week we began this book, uh, this study in Jonah chapter 1. We saw Jonah was called to go to Nineveh to deliver this uh, word against uh, Nineveh for their evil had come up before the Lord. And yet Jonah instead attempts to flee from the presence of the Lord. We saw that uh, Jonah's attempt to flee from the Lord demonstrated that he did not fear the Lord, that he did not revere him and submit to him as he ought to have. Because the Lord is big, Jonah didn't recognize that. And then we see Jonah is this man on the run from God. He uh, gets on this boat. The Lord brings this storm, and they end up hurling Jonah into the sea. And that is where we pick up now. Jonah has just been thrown overboard. And then we see in chapter 1, verse 17, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the part that many of us tend to think of when we think of the story of Jonah. Even those outside uh, the church who have never uh, read the Bible are familiar with this part of the story. Jonah swallowed by this big fish for three days and three nights. We might be less familiar with Jonah's prayer from within the fish. And that's what this is an account. It's an account of Jonah's prayer within the fish. Now, one thing that we might be tempted to do is to look at this prayer with uh, a bit of uh, doubt as we look at the rest of the story of Jonah. If you're familiar with where this goes, we might question Jonah's heart, question his motives. Rather than dwelling in, in trying to analyze Jonah's heart today, we ask ourselves, what does this prayer reveal about God? I think we'll find that this reveals uh, something very great about God. Let us uh, consider Jonah in this state. Jonah was a man who had a relationship with God. He was a prophet of God. He spoke the words of God to the king of Israel. He had fellowship with him, and yet he has run away, run from the presence of the Lord. And now in this chapter, we see this prayer of Jonah when he is at his lowest low. So I hope that we will see that there is great hope in this passage. There is great hope for those of us who maybe at one time profess faith. Maybe we still profess faith. And yet we look at our lives and we think we're missing the marks of grace. Maybe we feel like we have wandered away. Well, there is great hope in this passage as we look to what God does. For others, maybe we're in a deep physical lull. Maybe we're, we're tired, we're worn out. And here we see there's great hope revealed in God's word and in this prayer of Jonah. All of us at one time or another will face these great challenges, these great lulls. And so, brothers and sisters, let us be built up in faith as we consider this prayer. So, first, let us 
observe that Jonah is just about as low as he could be. Jonah's descent actually started back in this first chapter. I didn't point this out last week, but in the language that's used to describe Jonah fleeing to Tarshish, it says he goes down to Joppa, then he goes down into, or goes down into the ship, and then he goes down into this inner part of the ship. So we already know that Jonah is descending, but then he's thrown overboard into the sea. So the descent continues, and it continues, and that's where this prayer begins. Jonah says in chapter 2, verse 2, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol, that is out of death, Out of death I cried, and you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Jonah is physically and spiritually low, and we see that He is about as low as he could be. In fact, he's near the state of death. We read in verses 5 and 6, The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. The weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. So there he is, seemingly separated from God and at the very end. And yet, let us observe in verse 3 that Jonah acknowledges God's power in bringing him to this place. He says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. Your waves and your billows passed over me. Jonah recognizes, even though he finds himself in this great state of lowness, God is greater. Brothers and sisters, it is not so hard for us to, obscri- to, to recognize God's sovereignty when we are at our heights, when we are on the mountaintop, but can we see that God reigns even above the hardships in our lives? It's entrusting that God is powerful over the lows that we see that he has the power to save. This might be hard for us, something that we wrestle with. Can we trust God in the lows? But we know this. We know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and who were called according to his purposes So, brothers and sisters, when we see suffering, when we are brought to low places, where do we turn? Where do we look? Do we look to God? Can we say with Paul that we rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame? Where do we look, brothers and sisters? Do we see that God is God over the hard things? And then uh, we also see here in this passage that God is a God who answers prayers. 
we see that Jonah calls out in his distress. And so, brothers and sisters, first, we want to recognize that God is God over the lows. And second, in distress, let us call out to God. So, we continue in this prayer. We saw Jonah said in verse 6, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. And now we get to this great turning point in our text. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Jonah tried to flee from God. He tried to flee from the presence of God, and for a moment it seemed like he succeeded. He said, I am driven away from your sight. And yet, what we see here is that God hears his prayer. Jonah is not successful at fleeing from the presence of the Lord. In fact, this is like a real life parable of. Cha- uh, Psalm chapter 139. We see this uh, real life uh, testament to the truth of Psalm 139 where the psalmist says, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning, and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. Even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me up. We cannot flee too far from God. We cannot go too far from his grace, too far from his presence. Though it might feel like you have wandered too far from God, He is not too far from us if we would just turn and see, cry out in our distress. Now, for some of us, maybe we need to hear that in distress, God is a God that answers prayer. And so some of us, when when we're faced with distress in life, We tend to look to other things. We tend to try to problem solve. How can I get out of distress? And this, especially in our modern world, can be so convenient to turn to other things. If we have a problem, we turn to our phones. We look to Google. We try to find the answers in other things. But brothers and sisters, do you believe that God is a God that answers prayer? then let this be the place that we turn. Let us come to God with our prayers. Remember Paul's words to the Philippians. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will will guard your heart in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, Do we believe God is a God that answers prayer? As a church, would we be a church that seeks 
God in prayer, that believes that God truly is a God who answers prayer. Now, as we continue in our text, we come now to verse 8. It would be easy for us to gloss over verse 8. It's the shortest verse, but I uh, submit to us that this is a key verse for understanding this whole prayer. Jonah says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Why did God hear Jonah's prayer? Why did God answer Jonah's prayer? Why did, did Jonah earn it? Did he have merit? Is that why God answered his prayer? No. Jonah was on the run. His only hope was to trust in God, to simply trust him. Jonah's hope for steadfast love is in the Lord. He does not regard vain idols. And it demonstrates why it's important, brothers and sisters, that we see that God is God over the lows, because God has the power over the lows. It is not happenstance that Jonah is in this place. God has brought him to this place, and at the end of himself, Jonah is in a place to truly turn to God with his heart. Jonah's hope lies in the trust that he has, that God really has the power to save So then, we come to this, we see in this verse, there, there's this boundary line. This is the boundary line that, that we must consider, brothers and sisters. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their steadfast, their hope for steadfast love. This is the question that we must ask ourselves. Where do we look for salvation? Brothers and sisters, where do we look for salvation? This is our great problem. We are all in the same state before God. We're in a state where our relationship with God is broken. We are all subject to the results of the fall. We experience the toils and strifes and pain that sin has caused in this world. And brothers and sisters, this is the great question. Where do we look for relief? Where do we look for relief? Do we see that God is God of the lows and that he has the power to save? If I were to take my phone, try to charge it with a charger that was not built for my phone, it would not charge the phone. And yet, many of us, we, we know that God is a God that has made us to worship him. He has made us to enjoy fellowship with him. And yet, where do we go to charge our battery? 
We turn to other things when we know that only God saves. So now, we come to this place. We know that Jonah sees that salvation is with God. We saw that in verse 8. We see it again in verse 9. We see that Jonah is restored. There's this great hope here. But with the voice of thanksgiving, oh, sorry, verse 9, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Though Jonah started this prayer in distress, he ends it with thanksgiving, and he gives this final word, salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, here's an important question for us as we consider this prayer of Jonah. Can we expect that in our distress, God will deliver us from the physical pains, the physical sufferings of life? What do we see from experience and what do we know from God's word? This is not always the case. So we don't read this prayer as an example of God will always bring us out of the deepest low physically. That's not how this is meant to be read. Consider Paul prayed for the thorn in his flesh to be removed and yet God's grace was sufficient and the thorn was not removed. And in that Paul saw that God's grace was sufficient. Or consider Jesus in the garden. He prayed, not my will, but yours be done. Scripture does not promise that we will be delivered from every physical suffering in this life. And yet, there is great hope in this passage. So you'll ask, if we are not being delivered from every physical suffering, what is the great hope of this passage? Let us consider what this passage points us to. Points us to something much greater. Jesus, in uh, Matthew 12, he's uh, asked by the scribes and Pharisees for a sign. And this is what Jesus says. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three, night, three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Brothers and sisters, as we look to this story of Jonah, as we look to him being swallowed by this fish, it is not just a story about a man and a fish. No, it is a story about a God of salvation, and it points to something greater. This is a resurrection passage pointing us to the great fulfillment in Christ. Christ, Christ's resurrection, his death and resurrection, brothers and sisters, is the great sign that this prayer is true, that salvation belongs to God. Because Christ not only died, but he rose again, showing that death is defeated, that the grave does not have a hold on us anymore. No, Brothers and sisters, this is a much greater salvation. So as we come with our burdens, wishing God would, would take away the thorn in our flesh, let us remember that we have a greater salvation, a final salvation 
brothers and sisters. Not just momentary, not just over our circumstances. No, over sin and death itself. This is the promise in Christ. And this is what was fulfilled in Him, in His resurrection. Do we see, brothers and sisters, that Christ is greater than Jonah? That this points to something greater. And then we have this precious and great promise that was revealed to us that our life in Christ is like this. Do you know that you who were baptized with Christ were baptized into his death and you will be raised in newness of life? We are raised in new life in Christ. And so now, as we look back on this prayer of Jonah, as we look back and we understand that this was our spiritual state before God, do we cry out in distress, out of death? Do we see our sin for what it is, that it is death, separation from God? Brothers and sisters, this was our spiritual state before him. Can we say we went down to the land whose bars closed upon us forever and we had no strength that would get us out of this state? We could not bring ourselves out of death. The bars closed in upon us forever. No, we needed a God who is God of the lows. We needed a God who answers prayers. We needed a God who made a way for salvation and a God of resurrection. And that is what we have in Christ. We have a God of resurrection. So, where does this leave us? Brothers and sisters, Do we trust our self-sufficiency? Are we looking at our sin and trying to kill it in our own strength? Or do we trust that our power for new life comes from Christ? Do we trust him? Our confidence that salvation belongs to God is in Christ's resurrection. And so we can look with a sureness that he really is who he said he was and he will do what he says he will do we trust in his promises because he shows us his power. He shows us that he really is God. And so, let us consider this. For those who have not come to see this resurrection power, have not come to know that God who God is in Christ and what he has offered to us, I put to you this, anywhere that you look in the world for salvation, anywhere that you look for relief, it might give momentary relief, but it does not give final relief. Do not regard vain idols. There is hope in him. He is the God of salvation. And for those of us who feel 
like we have wandered too far from God. Let us consider, brothers and sisters, Jonah does not merit it. Let us consider that there is great grace and that God shows himself in this chapter to be a God of second chances, a God who relents from disaster, the final disaster. He gives salvation to those who come to him. And so, brothers and sisters, you are not too far out of the reach of the grace of God. Repent and come to the loving arms of our precious Lord and Savior. And now for those of us who struggle, those of us who are in the midst of difficulties and various trials, we look forward to a final resurrection. We look forward to what we read in our scripture reading. Where it says, Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits in the throne will shelter them in his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. Brothers and sisters, he will be our shepherd, and we shall be an eternal delight in him. And so the suffering of this life is not even worth comparing to the glory that is to come. So let us take heart, for Christ has overcome the world. So now, we who were dead in our sins, we have been made alive in Christ. Let us call out with thanksgiving for this great grace that we have in Christ. Let us remember that Christ's resurrection is the first fruit and we too will rise in glory. Now, as I conclude, wherever we stand this morning, whether we stand in a place of great thanksgiving or great distress, Let us call out to God, for salvation belongs to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, that you would write this truth on our hearts, that we would see, God, that there is great hope in the resurrection, that there is great hope, Lord, that you are a God who is mighty to save Lord, that you are both gracious and powerful to do so. We pray, God, that we would delight in you, delight in your word, Lord, and that you would teach us the ways of salvation, that you would give us great hope and assurance in the resurrection of Christ, Lord. We thank you for this. We pray that your spirit would go before us, write these truths in our heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.